prolific on air square. What's going on, Stalemates? Welcome back to another episode of Stalemates. This is uh, the podcaster's podcast because we are with our man Ryan Warner. What's going on? Great to be here, sir. Yeah, you just got in town from Chicago. You flew in here. And if you guys remember our Willie interview, we're actually in the same hotel that we interviewed Willie. We're just like five floors up. So uh, you're in town. Just got done with uh, the Smiths, which you charted. Yes, sir. I think you might be the first podcaster in wrestling to get on the Apple charts. Do you know? Uh, Flo might have been on the top 200, but we hit uh, – the F- Smiths went live February 1, which is a Monday. Mm-hmm. By Tuesday, we were like 32, and then by Wednesday, we were 28. You got up to 28? 28 on the charts. So you posted that you had got on the charts and, or got on the charts, and uh, I it blew my mind that like to see a wrestling podcaster, especially – like not a big production company and stuff like like flow is you still do a, a i think better than anybody's i think you have the and i'm not just doing this because you're here and stuff i think you truly do have the best um podcast like i don't see what we do and what you do i don't see it the same at all i think what you do is is a pure like um art form in terms of like how you tell a story and how, what you are able to get out of a wrestler, which is, is hard. I personally, like I'm not a big, I try not to watch or listen a lot of other wrestling content because I don't want to like subconsciously steal what they're doing or, um, subconsciously like take an idea or anything because that happens, you know, if you're, if you're watching, um, a comedy special or something like that. You 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 might not think you're stealing it. Like if you go to work and say the joke the next day or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't I don't want to do that. But yours, when the Smiths came out, I was so excited to to listen to it, and you just killed it. I appreciate it, man. It was it was something that started back in April, and really went. Is that okay? So I wanted to ask you that. So April, was I got April. The call. Oh, you got a call. Got the call in April. From and who? So a gentleman named Pat Christensen, he's on the board of the Hall of Fame, probably don't, not super familiar with him. He was a national champ of Wisconsin in the 70s. He's on the board of the Hall of Fame. He got a hold of Gable the Goat somehow, which is the first audio doc I did. And he's like, this is great. We should do it forever. Gable the Goat was like an independent thing that you did. Yep. It was so, one, how long was it? Two parts. Two parts, okay. So I started, so like when you think of an audio doc, some people are confused by it, but if you look at the podcast charts, most of the ones on the top charts are documentary style, like serial, like true crime. Mm-hmm. You have the interview-based ones like Joe Rogan, then you have some of these serial-based ones where it's more, not serial-based, but audio documentary ones such as serial, where it's more story aspect. Right, right. And my girlfriend's like, you know, I don't really listen to interview style. You should do something that's like a documentary style. And, and I love video documentaries, so like, great idea. So I did Gable the Goat. It's really no studying of screenwriting, no studying of story writing at all. Just wung it, you know. This guy, Pat, listens to it. He's like, you should do one on every member of the Hall of Fame. I'm like, one, that's a lot of people. And two, I don't want to be, like, bound to that. Mm-hmm. But let's pick one and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, who do you want to do? I'm like, John Smith. I can't get John Smith on my show. If you can get John Smith to sit down for two two-hour-long interviews, I'm in. I'll line up the rest. So that was in April. By July... I was done with another audio doc I was working on that was on an Illinois story. And I called him up and I go, let's, let's do this. And finally, John agreed. He's like, I'll do a two-hour interview in August and a two-hour interview in September. 
And then I lined up like 30 other interviews around that. And so July 4th weekend was the beginning of it. Went deep in the research hole in July. Did the first trip to Stillwater the end of July. And then last weekend of October was the last trip. So we shot interviews from end of July through October. And then I wrote the script mid-October through November, refined the script in December, then in January I edited and put it all together. Wow. So there's nothing to listen to in January. January yeah. 2nd is when I started cutting episode one. So so it kind of was someone else's like concept, but had you ever reached out to John Smith before to try to get an interview? And like, how did you do that? Yeah, so I, I emailed him long time ago, probably like six months into starting Wrestling Changed My Life. So like two years ago, I emailed him. He got back to me right away. And he goes, love the idea, would love to come on the show. I called my brother, I called my mom, I called my dad. And it's like, I'm in sales, so it's a typical junior sales thing to get excited before the deal's closed. The deal wasn't done. He never accepted the invite. We never had a date set. He just said, I'd like to come on the show. So I responded with some dates and times, never got back to me, crickets. 10 other emails, crickets. He's just a busy guy, you know? So then I send him a book, handwritten note. John, would love to have you on the show. Nothing. And again, he's just, it's just like Kale. He's impossible to get. Tom Brands, impossible to get unless you have an in. So this gentleman, Pat Christensen, said, yeah, I think you can get you John. You know, would you want to handle the, the full end of it? I'm like, I can do everything. Just get the interviews. I'll do the rest, and I'll, you know, I'll give you a fully produced audio doc. So you did. You said you went down the deep research hole, and I just finished it. I think yesterday. And uh, one thing that popped in my head is how much you knew about it, but also on the content side, since I, you know, with stalemates and stuff, I'm thinking like, how the hell do you actually put this together, and how do you structure the story? Because then I got into the bonus episode. I'm like, well, this is just like a raw interview, but you figured out a way to structure it. But you said you got, you did a like research dive. Were you researching like how to produce an audio documentary as well as no, as well as history of like John Smith and Oklahoma State? So no. How, how did you know to put it? How did you know how to like? So that take part parts of interviews and clip them and everything. That part was done after Gable the Goat. That was the first one where I was just kind of winging it. Knew nothing about story structure. I did that and I go. I need to research how to write a script. So I read three or four books on screenwriting, on storytelling, and it comes down to every story, whether it's a 20-minute Seinfeld episode, an hour-long Game of Thrones episode, or a 10-part um, like Netflix show, every story has a basic three-act structure. There's act one, which is about 25% of the story. So in the audio doc world on the Smiths, act one lasts about eight minutes. And then there's a big turning point. And so, for example, when John Smith loses to Jim Jordan, that's the first turning point. And then we get into act two. That's about half of it. And then the last third is the climax. So in that episode two example, John loses to Jim Jordan. That's turning point one. Act two is him training, developing the low single. Act three is when he loses to Gil Sanchez. But then the climax is him winning his first national title. So every story I found has a three-part structure. And if you watch any movie, again, whether it's The Sandlot or Departed, you can find these, these turning points. And so I tested this methodology out on an audio doc called Assembly Fall. It's a much smaller audience. It's only about an Illinois story. It's about the biggest upset in Illinois high school history. So I produced that in June of last year, and then in July I started on the Smiths. So I knew how to craft a story. I knew how to do an audio doc. 
I just didn't know how I would do it across seven episodes. That's what had me nervous, but also excited about the challenge. Did you set the seven episode thing, or was that something? Because you also like were in partnership with the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Were yeah. They, did they set? Did they have like rules or guidelines? Like it's got to be seven episodes. It's got to be this or that. Or they just kind of like, hey, here's the keys. Yeah. Go for it. The latter. They gave me the keys. They go. We want it to be at least two episodes, because. John and Pat. Those are the only two Smiths that are in the Hall of Fame. And the series is to promote folks who are in the Hall of Fame. So that was something I was worried about because some people are saying, you got to do it on the Perrys. You got to do it on the sisters. You got to do it on every brother. I'm like, no, the stories about John and Pat will weave in the rest of the family as needed. So I knew it was going to be at least two episodes. But then as I started to map it out, I had a big cork board. I'm like, man, Seven's got a nice ring to it because the Smiths, have seven NCAA titles across the three brothers. You know, that's pretty, I like that. And then it, as I started doing it, I thought it was going to be eight, maybe six. And we just kind of settled on seven. And it just worked out because the only time I thought it was going to be eight episodes is when Leroy in the 1984 scandal with Gable was going to be its own episode. And we decided to collapse that into the back of one. And so that's kind of how we came to the seven. Yeah, man. I, like we can get fully into the documentary part. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about like the, like how you were able to structure it and stuff because I feel like, and this isn't like shots fired at anybody else or, or anything, but like a lot of wrestling podcasts, like your um, girlfriend said, is just like it's like interview based and it's really hard to get into if you don't know the parties at hand. Mm-hmm. But with the Smiths, I've recommended it to people not in the wrestling world because that to me is like the most important thing is like wrestling fans you already have them right so like um you don't have to like if if i do an if i do an interview with a wrestler like you have to know who those people are right but what you have going on you can go i can show that to uh somebody who like my boss or somebody who's not into wrestling and they can understand everything you did a really good job of like of explaining it to the common person who doesn't they don't have to know anything about wrestling just like with basketball i'm not a huge basketball guy but i knew a lot about the michael jordan story but i there's stuff i didn't you didn't have to know about michael jordan to really know it you know what i mean like a a document like a good documentary you could go and 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 really without knowing the sport you can figure out the whole thing and i think you you did a really good job was that something that you wanted to do so that people who are outside of the wrestling world could could listen to smiths without knowing who john smith is without knowing what a low single is because it doesn't the low single doesn't really um matter in terms of john's story right the, the story is john's you know what he went through and you know he learned the low single and stuff like that but this, the the main thing shouldn't be the technique and the you know how you know how did you do this move and stuff like that. It should be the storyline. Is that something that you've kind of always wanted to focus on with the podcast in general, not just the Smiths? So yes and no. The the podcast in general. Sometimes if I have an Illinois guy on, I know I'm just going to go deep into Illinois high school stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you can't follow along, this episode's not for you, and that's okay. Because a golden rule I try to follow is each piece of content you do should resonate a hundred percent with 20% of your audience, no matter what. And if you do that, those 20 are going to love it enough that they're going to share it. Um, So there's some standalone episodes I do where I do go deep in the weeds on like Illinois middle school stuff or Illinois high school stuff. But the Smiths or any big time production, you have to, I try to teeter that line of saying, I want someone who knows nothing about wrestling to enjoy this because it's a sports story and it's about success and triumph. But I also want the wrestling fans like you to not say, 
dude, you're give, you're giving too much ex too much exposition on things we know. Like you don't need to explain how a wrestling match starts and finishes. So it's like I had to give some exposition on that the fact that the NCAA tournament in March is the biggest event of the year, but I also didn't want to explain how a, a match went, you know? So right, right. every time I'm doing it, a big audio doc, I kind of want people who are just sports fans to maybe listen to it and say, that's pretty interesting. Maybe I'll go to YouTube and watch that match. And the example I always think of is there's a 30 for 30 called the two Escobars. It's about... Yeah, yeah, soccer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I know nothing about soccer. I don't even like soccer, but I love that But it doc. doesn't matter. Exactly. You know, you don't have to know the i don't know i don't even know the intricacies term. of a soccer like, play a, whatever yeah. it's called you don't have to know that and that's what i'm saying that's what i meant about the uh the low like single the low though, single like it is crucial to his story you know what i mean but you didn't explain like why it was so effective for him right you know what i mean and that was kind of the thing it's like you can't do a john smith doc and not mention those the low single because it's just so important to wrestling but i wasn't going to get into the fact that really his highest percentage shot was the high C off a duck because people are so afraid of the low single that they try and tie him up. And when they tie him up, they do a collar tie. And if they collar tie on the right side, he hit a slide by. If they collar tie on the left side, he hit an elbow duck to a high C. That was really what really turned him into a, just a world beater. But that's just two in the weeds. And I think a lot of times with wrestling, we pride ourselves in the fact that it's so secluded. Yes. and. Which that's like drives me nuts. It, it bothers me a lot. Like freestyle rules, I like freestyle not as much as folk style, but I still don't understand half the things that are happening in a freestyle match, and I'm pretty into it. And yeah, so it bothers yeah. me that people like to make wrestling so inclusive. Yeah, I compare it to like skateboarding. I, I didn't, I was never a good skateboarder or anything, but there's always like this thing of like, if you're not a skateboarder, you shouldn't do this, and like yeah. if you're not a true skateboarder, if you can't, you know, the whole like, can you do a kickflip type of thing? And wrestling is kind of that way too, and it's like such. It's it it's not good. I don't think for the sport because then you scare away people who's like might want to dip their toe into it a little bit. Right. And so you know, I told you before that my you know a friend of mine was super into your podcast and stuff, and and uh, and then when I finally got to get into it and like this, I've listened to a couple other stuff that you've done too. But the Smiths was really for me like that could be, that could be someone's like life's work what what you did, what you did with it. So I appreciate it, man. It was something where. You know, I pulled out no stops. You know, I had had the songs custom made for it. I ended up I actually was going to, um, I was going to like, I thought I was, if we were going to do this at, at where my studio is where I record all my episodes, I was going to try to rip all those sound bites off. <laughs> and whenever you were going to tell me a story, I was going to like hit the one, like, cause you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, if you did like a story that was going up, I was going to like hit the sound bite in like while you're telling your story. But anyways, go Dude, ahead. Dude, that'd be sick because I mean, the songs were custom made though. I ended up prospecting a guy on SoundCloud so the guy who directed, uh, did the custom music for the OJ ESPN doc, his name's Gary Lanelli, he had some songs on SoundCloud, and I, that's where I published my podcast. Holy crap, dude, you went So you I went see him on there, I message him on SoundCloud, and he gets back to me. And he's like, I first started working with him like a year ago. He just gave me like his Dropbox folder, and he allowed me to lease some songs. And I was listening to him, there's like 60 in there, and these are all super high quality. And I'm like, man, there's just nothing in there that really speaks to speaks to the Smith. So what I did was I've watched The Last Dance like 10 times. You had this thing scored. I had it scored. That's I, insane. I watched The Last Dance and I recorded, I screen recorded my four favorite songs. And there's like, there's a, there's always a song that's played when there's like a highlight montage. Coolio. The, I mean, that's, so that's, those are commercial songs. But then there's also songs that they had custom scored that aren't commercial. Yeah, the commercial's you know, too you, expensive. The Coolio uh, song, though, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know which one that is. Um, 
Fantastic Voyage. That's, okay. That's like one of the, when he's like in the locker room, he's going crazy. Anyways, go ahead. So we, I found out a couple, like a couple scenes in Last Dance where these songs were continuously played. There's like a slower piano when they're talking about MJ's childhood. I'm like, I need something like that. So I sent it to him and I'm like, I need something that you can play with a highlight, like a montage. And I sent him the example from the Last Dance. And so he took that and created custom songs. It took about six weeks and he sent me the four songs and I'm like, dude, you were fucking fantastic. Pardon my French. I was just blown away. The music makes a doc. Yeah. The music makes a doc. And that was a big part of it. Um, I mean, without the story, there's nothing. But the music was a cool part to have them custom made and put those in there. I mean, it flies by. Yeah, I was on I was on another show, and they were talking we were talking you know, the other guy about it. And it's like, dude, the whole thing just flies by like that. I think each episode is like between 30 and 45 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's cool. So you also had a bunch of other, you know, you had John and Pat Smith on, but then you also had, you know, uh, like Mark Branch was on, The Lawyer. like Willie Baker. Willie Baker was on. Um, how, how many different guests did you have on? Uh, about 30. 30 guests? Yeah. So I think I did Leroy, his wife, Mark Perry, his wife. Um, I mean, I did tally it up. I think it's 27, 27, 28, and... Was did you you flew around to every location in person or no? Most were done in person. So, how many states? Des Moines twice. Randy Lewis, Roy Salinger, Dan Gable. But I did. I I left Chicago like 4 a.m. Hit Gable and Iowa City like 9 a.m. Then drove to Des Moines and hit Royce. I actually didn't even put some of Royce's stuff in. I don't know. It just didn't just didn't have time um, to fit it in. And then Randy Lewis was another trip to Des Moines. That was a solo drive. So I drove Chicago to Des Moines twice, and that's a long drive. Yeah, it's like five and a half hours. At least, yeah. yeah. Iowa City's almost five and a half. It's more like seven. It's pretty far. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Flew to Ohio to interview Alan Freed, and then flew to Stillwater like five times. And then... What's crazy is you're flying to Ohio, for, like Alan Freed, for example. It's like, I don't know how long, say you interviewed him for an hour, but you might only use like five minutes of the clip 15 minutes five minutes yeah that was Crazy. a day trip i landed at like 1 p.m this is hilarious i love alan freed and he won't mind me telling the story i land at like 11 30 i get to his house about 12 30 and the interview's at one so i knock on his door calls me he's like is that you out there i'm like yeah he's like all right i just woke up hold up opens the door it's like 12 30 in the afternoon and i'm thinking this is not going to be a good interview. The guy just woke up. I'm mm-hmm. a little worried. You know, you're nervous anyway. But mm-hmm. um, turns out we sit down, we flip the mics on, and it was fantastic. And he's just, you know, for people who don't know Alan Freed, a lot of people in our generation don't know him. He was the first four-time Fargo champ ever when it was one division, no cadets, just all one division. Tech followed Tom and Terry several times in high school. He, he's, he had five losses and he had six losses in college. Five were to Tom Brands. So this guy was a legend and was one of John's teammates, national champion. And so I had to get him in there. Mark Branch was remote. Kendall Cross was remote. Um, uh, a couple other ones were, but most were in person. Yeah, wow. Just the quality from the mics is so much different in person. Yeah, me, like, being the, on the content side, I, I could, like, kind of tell. But for the most of them, like, man, most of these are done, done in person. That's, I mean, that takes a lot of effort. Well, I just thought... John Smith, you don't get many chances to do a name that big. I mean, there's only maybe Jordan Burroughs, Kale Sanderson. There's only so many people in that league. And once someone else does a doc, even if it's even if it sucks, another director can't do it because it's copying. Right. Like, there's so many stories I want to tell, but maybe they've been told by someone else, um, and you just can't retell them, right? I mean, like, 
the flow doc they did on Terry, the one of the best things I've ever seen. Like, Terry's, I think, my favorite from from the flow stuff. But I kind of disagree a little bit on the on like retelling a story. Okay. Because I think you can I think you can go back and and do it in your own way as long as it's like if the first one was good then then you're right like then it can't no. be done again like yeah. the last dance what there's, there's been do? other documentaries before them but then they did it and it's like that's right it. that's the one they nailed it you and know? that's kind of why i went all out for it, just because i like but john smith i don't think is was there anything else no he had never done he had done an interview before but we when we you know when i got him to agree to it he did agree to two two hour long interviews and before it was all said and done, we got him to do a third. Mm. So I did, it was the last week of August, September, and October. It was Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock, two-hour interviews each time. So we have six hours of footage of John Smith talking, every detail of his life, in person. And it's just, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And then Pat had literally never given an interview before. And the only time, I only interviewed Pat one time. It was in this September trip. I leave Oklahoma City at like 9 p.m., it's supposed to be four hours of Little Rock. I get on the interstate, hit a traffic jam. I'm in traffic for two hours. A semi I tipped over. Mm-hmm. I don't get to Little Rock till like 5 a.m. Interview Pat at like 9. Barely any sleep. I had prepped a lot before, but not, I like to go over all the bottom of my notes that morning. Didn't have a chance to. But like you get out to Pat Smith's house. He's the nicest guy in the world. And he's just an open book. Like John is someone who... When you're a head coach at a major school, I think you have to be very cautious with what you say. And John was very vulnerable in those interviews. I'm not saying that, but it takes a while to warm up. Pat had never given like a really in-depth interview, and he just opened up, man. And he has a memory just like unbelievable. So that it's just a, it was just so fun to see him play out. And you know, you're in, I mean, you've been in tons of interviews where someone says something, and you're like, I can't wait to go listen to that because it's so good. You know, and that happened a couple times during that series. Yeah, usually when that happens, I'm, I, that's what we call, like, Did, you got that right. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you interviewed, you know, you had, you said about 30 guests on there. Was there anybody that you didn't get that, that you kind of wanted on, but it was like, nah, I don't want to be part of it? Two guys, um, two guys, I re- there was one person who reached out and said, no, I'll leave him nameless. There was two people I wanted who just didn't get back to me. One was Sergey Belaglazov. And folks who don't know him, he was an eight-time World Olympic champion in the 80s for the Soviet Union. John was a six-timer. Does he speak English? Speaks English. He's the head coach. Uh, he's the head freestyle coach at Michigan. Mm. So he's been in the United States a lot. And I've had, I've had him on podcast before. I didn't reach out to him until January because I'm editing. Episode two is where the Russians are and three. And I'm like, God, I got to have a Russian in there. And I'm thinking the best Russian of all time lives in Ann Arbor. What the hell am I been thinking not interviewing him? So I texted him last minute. He never got back to me, but that's on me for just not being diligent and setting it up in enough time. The other guy, though, who should have been in it, and again, it's my fault, Lazaro Reynoso, who's the Cuban who beat John in 90 yeah, yeah. and in 92. And we had texted. We, we, like, I would be on the Zoom. He would think it's Eastern time, it's Central time. He would be on the Zoom, and I would just, it just, we just miss each other. And it was my fault for not getting it down. So those two. Where's he at nowadays? Miami. Mm. He defected in 93. So both of those guys would have added to the story, would have been fantastic. But um, it's like someone told me one time, a painting's never finished. Like you can never be done with it. You just got to just, you just gotta yeah. say, hey, I'm done shooting. This is These episodes got to go live. So just move on to the next phase. And so those were two guys where I would have loved to have them. Because I love getting 
the perspective of the competitor. Like who was on the other side? You got to get the you got to get the uh, the good with the bad. You right. know what I mean? And like you got uh, Randy Lewis on there, and that kind of leads to like my next question is that was like clearly still sensitive to John. Um, you know, he's like, I don't want to talk about you know the whole thing really. Um, was it tough for you to ask some of these questions? Like, you know, you got to you have to because yeah. you can't do it because if you don't do it, the people who know are going to be like, you know, you chickened out. Why didn't you do it? You know, that's a crucial part of the story. Did you prep John like ahead of time, like, hey, we're gonna get into this? Or did you just like go in kind of cold turkey or or you like what how did that happen? Like getting into that sensitive stuff with some of those guys? Cause you you know, you were interviewing family members, like John himself, Pat, like, you know, right. Roy, you know, all of them. So John is so busy, like you don't get a prep call with John. You know, he might text, like, he actually texted me, like, a day before. It's like, see you tomorrow. I was excited that he even remembered I was coming in. Like, he's not going to read any notes you put in front of him. So, um, and I don't expect him to. So that question where he said, I don't want to talk about it, that was interview one about the last 20 minutes. And so I made sure that I had gotten, one, I wanted to show him that I was competent. And I was really getting technical and, and deep in his life. So he knew I had done my research. Do you think he went, do you think he listened to anything you've ever done? I don't know if he listened after the first one, I think he did. But before that, when he walked in for the first interview, I think he was only doing it because his older brother, Leroy, said to do it. And Leroy, who's a national, who's an executive director at the Hall of Fame, was crucial to setting all this up. He's the one that got John and Pat to sit down. Is he, has, but had he, had Leroy listened to your stuff? Leroy had. And I had interviewed Leroy before for other episodes. Um, he was actually featured in Gable the Goat. So Leroy was my ally. And Leroy called John. You know, Leroy's a big brother. Hey, make sure you show up for this. And of course, John did, and he was in great spirits. But, you know, that tough question of asking him, the question was, why was Gable's involvement in the arbitration so sensitive? Or why was it such a big deal? And he goes, I don't want to talk about it. And that happened with like 20 minutes left. And at first, I'm thinking a little bit of sweat. Like, this is awkward. Beat out. Yeah. And I'm like, is the interview over? I just kind of waited and went into the next question, and it wasn't. But, you can't ask a question like that the first five minutes. You got to show competence. You got to develop some trust. You got to get some rapport. And you know, like I said, we were twenty minutes left, and I just you got to ask them. You know, is there any ever worry like you? You know, you started in April. This isn't till like August, September. You said, was there ever any worry like he was just going to shut it down and be like, I'm done. Like yeah. I, I don't want to get into it at all. Like let's just not do it. Like Easily did that ever cross your happened. mind? It. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just like anyone who. You know, whether it's you're stepping on the mat for a match or whatever, you're going on a date with a girlfriend, all the doubts start coming in. You're imagining worst case scenarios. I mean, I had some of the worst night terrors where I'm thinking they're going to shut it down or they might just not want to do it. And, you know, that's your choice. They don't have to sit down for it. I still think I would have went forward with it. I mean, the Tiger Woods documentary just came out on HBO. Tiger Woods was not involved and it's still fantastic. So you can do documentaries without the main star. And sometimes... They're more revealing than they would be without the person. But, I mean, John the whole time was just great spirits, was super open, showed me around the facilities. So, um, now, I mean, once it started in August, and I think he respected I had done my research and my due diligence, and I had. I mean, I was visualizing this stuff. I was thinking about it nonstop. He was an open book, man. And it's. I think that's why the interviews... There's some emotional moments in those interviews, like when he's running through the streets of Cuba... Um, he just—it was all because of him and just being so vulnerable. So it was, uh, it was just a huge relief, really. 
Yeah, let's talk about some of the actual stuff in the documentary. Then I'll like I'll explain to you some of my favorite parts. Um, one, let's do it. One of my favorite parts was actually I think episode two is probably my favorite. Same. And actually. I think that's the one where he talks about having the energy that nobody could stop, like the low single, and he just talks about like he would just grab guys and practice, like just try to, and like and he's in a killer room too you know it's not like he's just at some school that you know he's the one guy right like there's national champs all americans in there and how good oklahoma state is but that was probably like my favorite part was like the the energy part um and then the, another part what for me was the gil sanchez which i think is also episode two right yep uh he talks about gil sanchez and he lost to gil sanchez and then he comes back, like, how I can't remember how quick it was, but, like, immediately he went to Omaha to find a man to open. And, like, that tournament wasn't even on the schedule, right? Right. And so he said he just drove there to, to like, yeah, whatever, to just because he wanted to get that back, right? And he, and he beat him, but barely. But now he's like, oh, crap, like, Gil Sanchez is the real deal. You know what I mean? Um, was did you? How much did you know, like, about all that kind of stuff? Did you? I knew know? all about that, and yeah. I knew I was going to ask him about that. He had said that before in an interview. Because what happened was, John, he, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. So, like, how did, how were you able to like find that research? That was on YouTube in the deep corners of it. This guy, um, uh, it's called Matt Chat. It was an old track podcast, um, and John had talked about. So, John's first two years in college. He doesn't place, and he gets second. He takes a red shirt, wins the Goodwill Games, which was like the World Championships back then. Decides to not go to the World Championships and comes back to college. His first match back, he's like king of the world, loses to Gil Sanchez, as you said. Gil Sanchez had never placed before. This is a Thursday night. John is mortified, humiliated. It's like a death in the family. Friday, they drive back to Stillwater. Friday midday, him and his buddy rent a van and drive back to Omaha to go to the Omaha Open, which is like a 60-man bracket. Him and Gil meet in the finals, and there's like maybe 40 people in the crowd. You know, an open tournament is a desolate place, but for John, he said it was like the, the national championships in November. So within a 48-hour period, John lost his first college match, drives back to Stillwater, drives six hours back to Omaha, wrestles in the Omaha Open, and then beats Gil in the finals 3-2 to two, or 3-1. to one. And he's like, I thought I was going to crush the dude, and it was that close. He ends up wrestling Gil in the NCAA Finals that year. So Gil was legit. And I actually interviewed Gil for the series. Um, I don't believe his audio made it in. But that story was one I knew I was going to tell. Episode 2 was the most baked out of my mind going into it. Episode 3 was probably the moment where when Randy and John are talking about playing blackjack in Vegas. Oh, yeah. I didn't know anything about that. And that's one you uncover in the interviews. And so Randy told me that in early August and when I went to interview John in late August, I had an iPad full of other interviews that people had said. You know, so I hand, hand John the iPad of Randy Lewis saying that he was playing blackjack, talking crap. And John's like, oh, yeah, that happened. And so I just loved taking a clip of Gable or Randy Lewis or Gil Sanchez handing John my iPad, totally stealing a play out of the last dance. Yeah, as I said. Totally yeah, stealing. Yeah. I mean, copy the best. I mean, so... And it worked because it just kind of brings back all those memories and those competitive juices. And it was it was a lot of fun. And just to kind of fall into your question, another favorite moment that was totally out of nowhere for me, I had no idea it existed, was when episode six, John loses at the 92 Olympic trials match one. And his family finds him sitting on the side of the road and they end up taking him to Hardee's. And like he's just so out of it. 
doesn't even know what to say. I mean, that's another story I had no idea about that just kind of uncovers as you're talking. And so that was the fun part of it. You're uncovering stories that only maybe 10 people know, and now we get to share them with everyone. Yeah, so, you kind of just stole my next question. I was going to say, what was your what was a, something that you learned that you didn't uncover? Um, but well, I'll tell you one. It's just the amount of obstacles every single year they went through, whether it was Pat dealing with the NCA sanctions, the NCA investigation, whether it was John dealing with the Cuban, um, whether it was John dealing with his brother's nemesis, Randy Lewis. Every year there was conflict. And when I first started it, I was worried that there was not enough conflict because every story needs conflict and the conflict needs to be upfront. There needs to be a strong goal, want to be a world champ, and a strong conflict Dan Gable or the Russians. So if you don't have those two, the story's going to be flat. And I was almost worried that John was so good that there wasn't conflict, but that was just so naive to think that because when he got into the weeds every year, he either had a battle at the world championships, Mm -hmm. had a battle in his own room with his brother. There was conflict everywhere and you just had to find it. What's been the number one thing that, what's been the number one story that people have said, like, that was my favorite part? Or, like, what's the biggest, like, feedback you've got? Like, what's the common thing that people are like, they, like, that was cool that you got that out of him? Or, like, that was my favorite thing? The blackjack with Randy Lewis is when, you know, for people who haven't listened to the series, um, Randy Lewis took out John's brother in 84. 88, four years later, John's ready to make the Olympic team. He's the man. Randy Lewis comes out of retirement. Doesn't announce he's coming out of retirement. At the Cliff Keen Las Vegas tournament, him and John bump into each other at blackjack table and, you know, tune into episode three to hear the rest. But essentially they have a discussion and they're kind of, as I mentioned earlier, talking crap. And so that was a situation where a lot of people said that just didn't know what happened. That's one of their favorites. The other thing is a lot of people don't know Pat's story. And so episode four is where we get into Pat. And just honestly to me that a lot of people say, I just didn't know a lot about Pat's story, even though he's the first four timer. So that was cool to hear that as well. Yeah. All right, got some Twitter questions. You okay, know, you like to get in the, the Twitter streets a little bit. I saw you responded to some of them, but I'm gonna try to get some of the ones that you uh, that you haven't answered yet. Okay. So Seth Duckworth, you know him, I Oklahoma do. State Cowboys. Shout I out do. to him and the Oklahoma Sooners. He's kind of covering both nowadays. Um, he says, "Do a wrestling change my life on him? I don't think people. This includes myself, who has talked to him a lot. Know enough about his background in wrestling." how he how why you got into podcasting personal life so let's just break it down a little bit what's your wrestling background everybody when you get in the space they want to know sure you know whatever which is the funniest part about wrestling um i wrestled i always say i was good not great in high school i was state placer a couple time qualifier i but i loved it i was obsessed with it but i was always in little illinois. illinois yep so i grew up in the quad cities uh which is on the western side of illinois about an hour from the university of iowa and like I said, from sixth grade on, I was totally obsessed with it, but always had a little bit of the mental mental midget. Like I would psych myself out, and I always knew the stats of everybody. I was a historian more than a wrestler. Like I knew that Jimmy Kennedy from Chicago. Like I have no chance against this kid. I think it's I think it's um, worse when you're like that. Yeah, because it is. that was me. So like my older cousin wrestled, and he was good, Division One, uh, okay, state champ, all this stuff, right? Four time placer in Iowa. And so for me, I was so obsessed with, like, his career that I was, like, I would know every kid. Like, I'm the guy who knows every bracket of, Same. you know, for Iowa, yeah. you know. 
And so I would research the heck out of it. Well, then when you get to high school, you naturally do the same thing. And so you're the guy looking up the rankings and the message boards. I remember reading like, you know, I was supposed to wrestle this kid. And I remember reading on this message board, the predicament, shout out the predicament. Predicament, That yeah. was uh, like, um, it was like our district tournament. And they're like predicted me to lose, you know? And I'm just been, I was like excited that I was <laughs> on there, you know, like, oh, they're finally like being talked about on the predicament. Um, but I think it kind of hurts you. Right yeah. when you when you're like that a little bit. I couldn't agree more. I wrestled Nick Trezino one time, and his dad Mark Trezino was an. Is that Joey Trezino's relative? Yep, brother. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I wrestled Nick and Joey, and good friends with both of them. So when I was in middle school, I wrestled Nick, and before the match started, I went up to my my coach at the time. I'm like, his dad was Mark Trezino, an All American yeah. Iowa. And he goes, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah, this yeah. short little Mexican guy, Louis yeah. Montez. Shout out, legend. He's like, Ryan, that that don't matter. Stop that. And, you know, it's just like, that's just typical for me. I would know, like you said, the stats about people. You think it's in your head and, and everything. Right. You know? So the, the passion for wrestling was there. Um, didn't wrestle in college. Ended up coaching for five years. And then I went to San Francisco for another five years and I was out of it. And I moved back to Chicago in 2018. And that's how I got back into the podcasting space. Um, do you think, Luke Wise says, do you think John will ever talk about the 1984 issue? I think he talks about it to people close to him all the time. I think he talks about it to his sisters, to his brothers. What about publicly? No. Because I just think the microscope you're under as a D1 head coach, we're in this uh, this culture of putting people on. I think anything you say that could be controversial is a threat to Oklahoma State wrestling, and I don't think he loves anything more than Oklahoma State wrestling. Um, let's see here. I don't want to get into some of this stuff. Uh, Brett Whelan says, was there any discussion on nephew JT Real Mudo, the no, baseball player? No discussion, but that's another example of where you could have gone on forever with the Smiths. You know, his nephew is a all-star catcher, but the story was about John and Pat. And that really, and honestly, the story ended in 94. So anything that happened after 94 didn't even, wasn't even included. Like, I didn't even interview Mark Perry Jr. because he was after 94. Okay, what about, let's see, Mike Shea. Shout out to Mike Shea. Um, Respect says, where does he get his inspiration for his storytelling? Something tells me he listens to This American Life. This American Life by Ira Glass. Um, I get my inspiration from Joseph Campbell, who wrote a book called, I think it's The Hero of a Thousand Faces, who was the, and he was a consultant for Star Wars. So Joseph Campbell pretty much said, there's some basic elements in every story across all mythology, and it's about a hero accomplishing something. And so there's a fantastic book, called The Writer's Journey that takes Joseph Campbell's work and distills it into things that you and I could understand. Um, and that was my biggest inspiration, The Writer's Journey. Cody Arnold says, will the Smith's podcast be put on his YouTube channel? The raw interviews will, but it's not a video documentary, and so it will never be what he's thinking, but the raw interviews will be in a couple of weeks. Okay, and then I have um, a question for myself. What is what is Wrestling Changed My Life down the road? Wrestling Changed My Life will be a podcast that goes on for another 30 years minimum. It's something I'll do forever. So there's that's one thing. Two, I hope to be – I hope to have a, a kind of an umbrella company called Warner Podcast Productions where we're doing stories on wrestling but also boxing or MMA. I mean I would love to do a documentary on the John Jones story. So – Wrestling Changed My Life will always be a podcast every Monday and Wednesday until I die, but also branching out into broader sports stories down the road. Yeah, 
I'm excited for for that. Thank I you. Think, uh, like I think boxing. I love boxing. To do a documentary on Hagler Hearns, which to me is the best three rounds in boxing, that's a life. That's a life dream. Just as much as the Smiths would be to me. Yeah, I think you're. The, I think you're the right guy. You know, for that wrestling needs to tell to tell these kinds of stories. You know, when and I don't want to talk about myself, but I'm going to for like two seconds. When I got into this, like the media stuff, I was like, I feel like they're, you know, wrestling. There's a lot of great people in wrestling media, so I'm not gonna, you know, this isn't directed at anybody. But um, I think it was time for for new faces to come along. And I know you've been doing it for how long? You've been doing it? About two and a half. Uh, so, about two and a half years. So a few years yeah. now, and I think you're the right guy to to kind of do what you're doing. I appreciate it, man. Um, I feel the same way about you, brother. I am, when I saw your stuff come out, you know, this summer, I started to see some things. And then when you did the the Twitter trailer of YouTube where you're singing the song with the American flag in the background, yeah, yeah. I go, this dude's got skills and he's got balls. Cause I don't know how many people would do that. I just think it's fantastic, man. And I was just blown away at the creativity. And that's why I consider you know, this, you know, not even close to competitors, not even frenemies, just a partnership, dude. I love what you're doing, and I, I want to be associated with your creativity and your just your boldness with the content. So I feel the same way about you. You're going to be known for the Smiths, and I'm going to be known for the Willie, little Willie no. Taylor. So. No, no, no. You're <laughs> no. going to be known for putting all these college programs no, uh, on the map, dude. I, no, I really love those. Um, yeah, and then other people want to know about the sunburn. You still have the sunburn? Sunburn's gone away. You know, it's that's hysterical. That comes from, uh, you know, I was doing some commentating on a rooftop event. I'll tell you right now, nothing's more nerve-wracking. You remember when I called you out? No. Uh, I made the meme. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That was your meme? Yeah, yeah. No way. I didn't know that until right now. Really? No. So it's funny. I was going to bring that up. I didn't know. So that I made was a meme. You. I made a meme of so Ryan got sunburned. It was rumble on the rooftop. So you're on the rooftop in what? July or August? June. June. It was June. Really? Yeah, because I was. I just released an audio doc called Assembly Fall, and I was in a hotel. I rented a hotel to finish it for like four days. I didn't leave it. Pale as pale as a ghost. Get on this rooftop, and I got fried. And I was wearing a red shirt. I can't believe you didn't know that I was the one. That I didn't know that. No, the guy where the. The, the hangover, hangover yeah. where I'm on the and I sent that to everybody. I don't know who made this, but it's fantastic. It was that was me. you. So I called you out though. God hit me with it. You posted it on your Instagram and you didn't tag us. And I commented. I'm yes. like, I, my mom called me. She's like, someone just commented <laughs> on your Instagram. I go, mom, God bless you. And I, oh, my I remember gosh. that though. Now I know you say that. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't know that was me. Didn't connect it out until right now. Well, I, to to like your credit, that like we weren't. Um, I don't think we had really done anything at that point. I just didn't know who. I just remember seeing it float around. And, dude, have you ever done commentary on matches? No, I don't. It's really hard, want to. dude. I've been asked to. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to do it. It's hard, and it was nerve wracking. I was sweating. Little did I know that I was just getting scorched, dude. The sunburn. You're memefied. Memefied. Well, I'm, yeah. So I, so I basically, like, I was like, hey, tag us next time. Yeah. Because uh, at that point we didn't have anybody. And you posted it. I'm like, gosh, dang it. Like the biggest guy in podcasting. My neighbor knows who this guy is. <laughs> and, and I can't get a freaking tag, but I've come a long ways. Dude. Um, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then. Uh, when we when we first started, we were like coming out swinging like, you know, like, not, like I don't know anybody. So I was like, I'm trying to freaking wiggle my way in here, elbow my yeah. way in here. And. Uh, Dude, is, is yeah. wrestling not a sport where we're not big, but I mean, it's a small sport. But it feels like impossible to get into that inner circle. And I'm not an inner circle guy. I never wrestled in college. I never wrestled D1. I know you've, I've heard you say the same thing. 
when I was preparing to interview you, and I'm like, I love that you feel that way because I feel the same way, dude. Yeah. It gets a outsider's well, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a who's who a little bit, and uh, you got to find your spot. You got to you yeah. got to fight a little bit to get in there. And I still think we're a little bit on the outside, but now that you know, I think people kind of know a little bit about us. Dude, you got um, colleges calling you to come to the program. It could almost it's almost not as fun though when, when you get kinda in there because before, like the whole like, you know, when we did the like I don't want to talk about it again, but um, you know, I'd say something controversial and then I was like, No one's listening, so I'm gonna say what I want. I'm gonna look in this camera, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say that. <laughs> and then sometimes people listen and then, you know, it thing When was the turning on. point for you guys? Um probably the the uh I mean, it depends because like there's two different things that we were into, like the memes. So I can remember like a first viral meme, but then what was that? The video, the first viral meme that did well was probably the one that like really got us like hundreds of followers in a day was the Pat Downey training day meme. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> no, but I love training day and I want to, I want to watch show you it, it. And then <laughs> I made a, a meme about it. Um, it's like the, the grill, it's like the King Kong ain't got sh- shit on me thing, you yeah. know? Um, but then like oh, people yeah. didn't know who we really were. They just thought that that meme was funny. And then like the next day I put out the recap video of like the women's wrestling and Pat Downey and, and then people are like, Oh wow. Like this is something new, but there's been, there's been like several kind of like, I'm sure you've had it mm-hmm. where there's like, you do an episode with somebody and it does like you know, puts a lot of more people onto your stuff. Yeah. We've had, we've had a couple of those. Okay. Yeah. No, it's just exciting to see, man. Um, I still think Joey and the Needle doesn't get enough love. Dude, that, that episode when you did Joey the Needle. Oh yeah. That's, so that was just something like, is that stalemates? Would you consider it? Yeah. Like, yeah. When we first started doing this and I might edit this stuff out cause I, this is supposed to be about you, but yeah. when we first started doing this, like, like you were saying, um, earlier is like you want to get in the documentary space or whatever right joey the needle was supposed to be like kind of like what i really wanted to to do because his story to me was so nuts yeah and i didn't care that it was wrestling related and when we first started doing this we did mma i'm a huge like ufc fan Love it. and so i actually like have like there's like four episodes on our youtube if you scroll back far enough where i do like gambling because i love to gamble and so i wanted to do like MMA gambling show, but also wrestling. And I was hoping there's going to be this crossover, but the wrestling side just started going pretty good. And then the MMA side really wasn't taken off. So I kind of scrapped the MMA stuff, but Joey, the needle ties in cause he was related to that, uh, heavyweight, but his story's so crazy. And we've fact checked stuff that he's said and it like, it lines up. And so like, for me, like if I were to ever do a documentary, like I really would, would like to do that. But for us, we just wanted to we didn't wanted to get the story out either way, so we did right. it in podcast form. But one thing on the MMA, then I'll turn it back to you. Are you not always amazed at the lack of crossover between wrestling and MMA? It's insane. I thought it was like a hundred percent. I thought it was too, and how I thought, is it not? And I thought we were really gonna be the ones to kind of bridge the gap, but they don't. They didn't care, and I feel like they only care about the the wrestlers that are in MMA, but they don't really care about the the like actual career, the MMA career. They just care about no. like how well is Daniel Cormier doing, how well is Cejudo doing, but. Anyway, wrestling man, it's cool. it's crazy. It's very siloed like that. Anytime you have a big UFC guest on, um, I always think, my God, this guy's huge. You know, like I had, like, had Pat Militage on, no one even listened to it. Yeah, and I'm just like, how? He's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, and way probably more famous than a lot of like wrestlers. 
way more famous. But yeah. Anyways, hope you guys like this episode. Ryan Warner, thanks for coming on. It's an honor. Um, what's the Twitter and Instagram and all that? Uh, Instagram's wrestling changed my life. Twitter is wrestling changed my life. Uh, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com for all past episodes. Also, if you want to text us, you can text the word wrestle to two two four five four, and we'll text you the episodes. Awesome. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Um, thank you to Matt Man and Barbarian Apparel for helping us in every way possible. Um, I'll see you guys next time. You never know what uh, me and this guy are going to cook up to, so pay attention. Make sure you hit subscribe. Turn those notifications on. Peace. Thank you, brother. Awesome, man. Hell yeah.